Chapter 50 of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter 50. Peter Simple first takes a command, then three West Indiamen, and twenty prisoners. One good turn deserves another. The prisoners endeavor to take him, but are themselves taken in. The next day I was very unhappy. The brig was in the offing, waiting for me to come on board. I pointed her out to Celeste as we were at the window, and her eyes met mine. An hour's conversation could not have said more. General O'Brien showed that he had perfect confidence in me, for he left us together. Celeste, said I, I have promised your father. I know what has passed, interrupted she. He told me everything. How kind he is! But I did not say that I would not bind myself, Celeste. No, but my father made me promise that you should not, that if you attempted, I was immediately to prevent you, and so I shall. Then you shall keep your word, Celeste. Imagine everything that can be said in this. And I kissed her. Don't think me forward, Peter, but I wish you to go away happy, said Celeste, and therefore, in return, imagine all I could say in this. And she returned my salute, kissing my cheek. After this, we had a conversation of two hours, but what lovers say is very silly, except to themselves, and the reader need not be troubled with it. General O'Brien came in and told me the boat was ready. I rose up. I was satisfied with what had passed, and with a firm voice I said, Goodbye, Celeste. God bless you, and followed the general who, with some of his officers, walked down with me to the beach. I thanked the general, who embraced me, paid my adieus to the officers, and stepped into the boat. In half an hour I was on board of the brig, and in O'Brien's arms. We put the helm up, and in a short time the town of St. Pierre was shot out from my longing sight, and we were on our way to Barbados. That day was passed in the cabin with O'Brien, giving me a minute detail of all that had passed. When we anchored once more in Carlisle Bay, we found that the hurricane had been much more extensive in the Windward Islands than we had imagined. Several men of war were lying there having lost one or more of their masts and there was 
great difficulty in supplying the wants of so many as we arrived the last of course we were last served and there being no boats left in store there was no chance of our being ready for sea under two or three months the joan d'arc schooner privateer was still lying there but had not been fitted out for want of men and the admiral proposed to o'brien that he should man her with a part of his ship's company and send one of his lieutenants out to cruise in her this was gladly assented to by o'brien who came on board and asked me whether i should like to have her which i agreed to as i was quite tired of barbados and fried flying fish i selected two midshipmen swinburne and twenty men and having taken on board provisions and water for three months i received my written instructions from o'brien and made sail we soon discovered that the masts which the american had sold to the schooner were much too large for her she was considerably overmasted and we were obliged to be very careful i stood for trinidad off which island was to be my cruising ground and in three weeks had recaptured three west india men when i found myself so short of hands that i was obliged to return to barbados i had put four hands into the first vessel which with the englishmen prisoners were sufficient and three hands into the two others but i was very much embarrassed with my prisoners who amounted to nearly double my ship's company remaining on board both the midshipmen i had sent away and i consulted with swinburne as to what was best to be done why the fact is mr simple captain o'brien ought to have given us more hands twenty men are little enough for a vessel with a boom mainsail like the one we have here and now we have only ten left but i suppose he did not expect us to be so lucky and it's true enough that he has plenty of work for the ship's company now that he has to turn everything in afresh as for the prisoners i think we had better run close in and give them two of our boats to take them on shore at all events we must be rid of them and not be obliged to have one eye aloft and the other down the hatchway as we must now this advice corresponded with my own ideas and i ran inshore gave them the stern boat and one of the larger ones which held them all and sent them away leaving only one boat for the schooner which was hoisted up on the starboard chest tree it fell a dead calm as we sent away the prisoners we saw them land and disappear over the rocks and thought ourselves well rid of them as they were twenty-two in number most of them spaniards and very stout ferocious-looking fellows 
it continued calm during the whole day much to our annoyance and i was very anxious to get away as soon as i could still i could not help admiring the beauty of the scenery the lofty mountains rising abruptly from the ocean and towering in the clouds reflecting on the smooth water as clear as in a looking-glass every color every tint beautifully distinct the schooner gradually drifted close inshore and we could perceive the rocks at the bottom many fathoms deep not a breath of wind was to be seen on the surface of the water for several miles around although the horizon in the offing showed that there was a smart breeze outside night came on and we still lay becalmed i gave my orders to swinburne who had the first watch and retired to my standing bed-place in the cabin i was dreaming and i hardly need say who was the object of my visions i thought i was in eagle park sitting down with her under one of the large chestnut trees which formed the avenue when i felt my shoulder roughly pushed i started up what's the matter who's that swinburne yes sir on with your clothes immediately as we have work on hand i expect and swinburne left the cabin immediately i heard him calling the other men who were below i knew that swinburne would not give a false alarm in a minute i was on deck where i found he had just arrived and was looking at the stern of the schooner what is that swinburne said i silence sir hark don't you hear them yes i replied the sound of oars exactly sir depend upon it those spaniards have got more help and are coming back to take the vessel they know we have only ten hands on board by this time the men were all on deck i directed swinburne to see all the muskets loaded and ran down for my own sword and pistols the water was so smooth and the silence so profound that swinburne had heard the sound of the oars at a considerable distance fortunate it was that i had such a trusty follower another might have slumbered and the schooner had been boarded and captured without our being prepared when i came on deck again i spoke to the men exhorted them to do their duty and pointed out to them that these cutthroat villains would certainly murder us all if we were taken which i firmly believed would have been the case the men declared that they would sell their lives as dearly as they could we had twenty muskets and the same number of pistols all of which were now loaded our guns were also ready but of no use now that the schooner had not steerage way the boats were in sight about a quarter of a mile astern when swinburne said there's a cat's paw flying along the water 
Mr. Simple. If we could only have a little wind, how we would laugh at them. But I'm afraid there's no such luck. Shall we let them know that we're ready? Let every one of us take two muskets, said I. When the first boat is under the counter, take good aim and discharge into one of the boats. Then seize the other musket and discharge it at the other boat. After that, we must trust to our cutlasses and pistols, for if they come on, there will be no time to load again. Keep silence, all of you. The boats now came up, full of men, but as we remained perfectly quiet, they pulled up gently, hoping to surprise us. Fortunately, one was a little in advance of the other, upon which I altered my directions, and desired my men to fire their second musket upon the first boat, as if we were able to disable her, we were an equal match for those in the other. When the boat was within six yards of the schooner's counter, Now, said I, and all the muskets were discharged at once, and my men cheered. Several of the boats dropped, and I was sure we had done great execution. But they were laid hold of by the other men, who had not been pulling, and again the boat advanced to the counter. Good aim, my lads, this time, cried Swinburne. The other boat will be alongside as soon as you have fired. Mr. Simple, the schooner has headway, and there's a strong breeze coming up. Again we discharged our ten muskets into the boat, but this time we waited until the bowman had hooked on the plane-shear with his boat-hook, and our fire was very effective. I was surprised to find that the other boat was not on board of us, but a light breeze had come up, and the schooner glided through the water. Still, she was close under our counter, and would have been aboard in a minute. In the meantime, the Spaniards who were in the first boat were climbing up the sides, and were repulsed by my men with great success. The breeze freshened, and Swinburne ran to the helm. I perceived the schooner was going fast through the water, and the second boat could hardly hold her own. I ran to where the boat-hook was fixed on the plane-shear, and unhooked it. The boat fell astern, leaving two Spaniards clinging to the side, who were cut down, and they fell into the water. Hurrah! All safe! cried Swinburne. And now to punish them. The schooner was now darting along at the rate of five miles, with an increasing breeze. We stood in for two minutes, then tacked, and ran for the boats. Swinburne steered, and I continued standing in the bows, surrounded by the rest of the men. Starboard a little, Swinburne. Starboard it is. Steady, steady. I see the first boat. She is close under our bows. Steady, port, port. Port a little, port. Look out, my lads, 
and cut down all who climb up. Crash went the schooner on to the boat, the men in her in vain endeavoring to escape us. For a second or two she appeared to right until her further gunwale was borne down under the water. She turned up, and the schooner went over her, sending every soul in her to their account. One man clung on to a rope and was towed for a few seconds, but a cutlass divided the rope at the gunwale, and with a faint shriek he disappeared. The other boat was close to us and perceived what we had done. They remained with their oars poised, all ready to pull so as to evade the schooner. We steered for her, and the schooner was now running at the rate of seven miles an hour. When close under our bows, by very dexterously pulling short round with her starboard oars, we only struck her with her bow, and before she went down, many of the Spaniards had gained the deck or were clinging to the side of the vessel. They fought with desperation, but we were too strong for them. It was only those who had gained the deck which we had to contend with. The others clung for a time, and unable to get up the sides, one by one, dropped into the water and went astern. In a minute, those on deck were lying at our feet, and in a minute more, they were tossed overboard after their companions, not, however, until one of them struck me through the calf of the leg with his knife as we were lifting him over the gunwale. I do not mean to say that the Spaniards were not justified in attempting to take the schooner, but still, as we had liberated them but a few hours before, we felt that it was unhandsome and treacherous on their part, and therefore showed them no quarter. There were two of my men wounded as well as myself, but not severely, which was fortunate, as we had no surgeon on board, and only about half a yard of diaculum plaster in the vessel. "'Well out of that, sir,' said Swinburne, as I limped aft. "'By the Lord Harry, it must have been a pretty go.' Having shaped our course for Barbados, I dressed my leg and went down to sleep. This time I did not dream of Celeste, but fought the Spaniard over again, thought I was wounded, and awoke with the pain of my leg. End of chapter 50